This Sports Career Podcast, episode 337. How can conscious leadership create real wins in sports and business? Hello Sports Achiever and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports Grid Podcast. I'm your host Ed Bowers. As always, my goal each week is to provide you a special guest who's an expert in a particular sector in the sports industry, especially if you have an interest in elevating your leadership qualities. I hope today's episode can support your sports career development, interests and needs. Now, getting back to today's podcast special guest is Michelle Moore. Michelle is a leadership coach keynote speaker and author of a book called Real Wins, which is all about how sport and race can improve our leadership qualities with the understanding of race equity. For that reason, it's such a pleasure to have Michelle as a podcast special guest on the show. And that's when today's episode, Michelle will share her sports career journey and explain to you how conscious leadership can develop real wins in sports and in business. Have a listen and enjoy. Michelle, it's such a joy to have you on the podcast show. Please you share to listeners your sports career and leadership journey. When did it all start? Oh, thank you so much for the invitation, Ed. I'm really pleased to be here. Well, it all started when I was the tender age of nine years old. And I'm a twin, so sometimes I'll talk in the plural. And um, My twin and I would go training, basically, down the blue, it was called. It was the uh, Southwark Park Athletics track in Southwark, uh, in an inner London city area. And we were sprinters as youngsters. We were 100 meter sprinters, long jumpers. My sister was a hurdler. And we belonged to Hernhill Harriers Athletics Club. And so from a really young age, we had instilled in us the sports mindset of what it means to succeed and also how to cope with losing. So athletics was very much an identity affirming space for my sister and I. I'm a black woman who happens to be mixed. My heritage is from Guyana and England. And so training with other people that looked like me, it was a diverse training group, but predominantly black and brown athletes was incredible and I my my journey in leadership started with my athletics career from a very young age and even though as I progressed I became a very talented and I was a talented athlete trained out in the US for a little bit but I never made it to those international heights that I would have loved to have done um, and so I learned huge amounts about the power of mindset determination focus and everything to do with resilience that I translated into my professional career later on so it also started back then and I was very glad and thankful for my family because we know that the the relationship main carers have with sport is one of the determinants if, if whether or not you're going to continue in sport and my mum was the team manager for Hernhill Harriers so we had to go and hang out with her so what were we going to do we were going to train and be uh, you know athletes and enjoy traveling up and down the country competing and reveling in the joy and the freedom that sport gives you. 
What an awesome answer. I got to decode this a little bit because we will talk about your book, which will relate to this, but reflecting, you know, I'm going to, don't want to mention your age, but we've got nothing like social media back then. And there wasn't like, everything was about community reflecting what lessons of sport did support you now. Like you mentioned about the mindset and also having a good people around you playing the sport, but looking back, like what skills supported you from sport, which have supported you now as a leadership coach? Well, I think one of the fundamental things that sport does is it helps develop our resilience, right? And so when we strengthen our resilience in every area of our life, that that can then, our progress can improve and our potential can be unlocked in all kinds of ways, especially when what we get from sport is it can be really identity affirming where we feel as if we are, for me, it was like I could just feel free on the track. And that is so essential in how we unlock our learning, how we unlock all kinds of different aspects of our personality that can come to the forefront. And so I learned that despite the loss at the weekend, you know, if I lost any of my races, Ed, I was still turning up to train like four or five times a week the following week in the hope that I would win the next week because I knew that I'd put in all of this hard work and the marginal gains thinking that you get from sport, you know, your 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 coach is constantly giving you feedback. Michelle, raise your arm. Make sure your, your knees are coming up higher. Make sure that you relax your face. All the things that are the marginal gains that help you perform at a higher uh, level in all kinds of ways. And that, you know, the finest margins between the, the gold medalist and the silver medalist. And often the research actually tells us that the happiest person on the podium is, is often the bronze medalist because they kind of surprise themselves sometimes. And I, I remember sometimes my happiest moments on the track when, weren't when I actually won. They were when I performed my best. And so I talk about how do we get into a position in our lives where we are happy with our performance because we've given the best that we can and that's all that we can ask of ourselves in any moment and that doesn't take away from the burning desire to win but I know that I couldn't control my the my opponents I couldn't control the environment all I could control was my preparation which is massive and turning up with that mindset that is I'm going to leave everything out on the track I'm going to rinse out this opportunity I'm not going to waste any any of my potential with letting my mindset become negative. So the power of sport, the power of the mindset techniques that it taught me in terms of letting go of what my attachment is to that outcome and just focusing on the execution because I couldn't control anything else was really powerful in how I can stay present to the very moment of what I'm doing. And then, you know, that mindset piece around, well, I've trained for this, my body's conditioned for this and everything that goes with unlocking that extra part of you that will just allow you to perform because you're present and you're relaxed as much as possible. So it gave me all kinds of mindset techniques from understanding that I can create an alter ego and step into a more confident version of myself and I'm distancing myself in terms of emotionally regulation, distancing myself from any of the negative kind of energy that comes from nerves and self-doubt. So, you know, the, the lessons are invaluable and immeasurable in all, all kinds of ways and they're completely transferable to the rest of anybody's life. Um, so we learn so much from sport 
that helps us in our life, that helps us in our professional careers, that helps us in our personal professional growth in all kinds of ways. So would you say focusing on the performance is more of a better approach when we experience, like you said right at the beginning, like experiencing lose, like when you lose or failure compared to that winning attitude? I would just love your thoughts on performance versus winning when experiencing losing. Well, I think they can all be true all at the same time, right? I think, I suppose I'm bringing my leadership coaching into this because what I'm asking people to do in a, on a daily basis is to do the preparation that gives them the confidence, that enables them to execute, and then they have to actually let go of the rest, which doesn't take away from them wanting to be the winner. And I'm very, I'm highly competitive, right? I don't, you know, every morning I'm trying to beat my 10 minute time as I walk around the block. You know, people think I'm crazy, but the element of competition fuels my passion in all kinds of ways because I'm continually looking to, to perform better. And I do that in my speaking career, like in, throughout my coaching. And I've done a, a speech or something and I'll say to somebody, what could it be even better if? And they're like, no, it was amazing. You smashed it. I said, no, no, no. I, I'm really interested in the feedback. It's funny because I've, I've trained my mum now. Um, you'd laugh at this. Ed. I, I go on to BBC Radio London every six weeks or so and I review the newspapers. I've been doing this for like about four or five years. And when I first did it, like my family were like, this is amazing. You were brilliant. Da, 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 da. And then I said to my mum, look, mum, I need you to give me the good stuff. But I also need you to give me the stuff that I think I can improve that you that resonates with you. And so now she'll send me a text and say, yep, yeah, you spoke a little bit fast here. I loved the bit at the top, but, you know, you didn't really make sense there. And you garbled your words. What were you thinking? So now it's like really rich. And it's the same with feedback in our lives through sport. And so that element of winning actually can drive us to a point where we reveal these talents that we didn't even have right and so it's like yes absolutely pursue the highest version and the best version of what success looks like for you and then let's see where the cards fall right because you know if you think about it there are athletes like Usain Bolt that come along in the world and at that particular time if you're an athlete and you're competing against Usain Bolt you know Asif Apparel had no chance like he was never winning basically. And so there's sometimes an acceptance that there are these exceptional talents and the timing might not be right for you. And so I just think that absolutely the performance element, the executing element, the way in which you can release yourself from the tension of the nerves and the self-doubt enables you to create a better performance, which is a winning performance, right? And that's the thing that sometimes people can get a bit caught out on, I think. And, uh, you know, we we see nerves as somehow really negative, but actually they show that you care and that you can use that adrenaline in all kinds of ways. So, you know, I talk about my experience, but I'm not a sports psychologist. But I'm somebody that's worked with athletes and I understand the mindset and I also understand what's going on in the professional setting as well. So I'm always trying to kind of dovetail the two together. So, yeah, I, don't, I, I think that it's all can be true at the same time. And I don't think it's either or. And I'm always encouraging people to go for their boldest ambitions in whatever it is they're doing so absolutely aim for the win and aim for the victory aim for the massive pay rise aim aim for the the big promotion and if you don't get it 
you know, you're still falling short at a really high level. Whereas if you're aiming, like, I'm going to do my best, that maybe, you know, I might get bronze, I might get second, I'm not sure. You're already straight away, your mindset is at a different parameter. So I'm all about kind of going all in, rinsing out the opportunities, realising that we've, we're here for a very short time, Ed. Like, how can we make the biggest impact um, in the shortest and smallest amount of time that we've got? And you don't want to look back, you know, and say, I wish I'd just given it everything I had I, in, in the book, I, in my book, Real Wins, which I know we're going to talk about. I do share stories where I that sense of there was an opportunity and I just, I wasted it. I didn't turn up. And it was that that burned me the most, that sense of wasted opportunity. I had it all there in front of me and I didn't execute. And so I remember I was just doing some coaching actually with somebody today and we were talking about the article the, the piece of work that the incredible palliative care nurse did when she interviewed um people who were on who were dying and those the 10 regrets of those those that are dying and she put, pulled it all together and you know one of those was about not taking the risk not to, not backing yourself you know not going for it just you know, performing for everybody else, but not really yourself. And so there's something very powerful about going for it, going for your highest and boldest ambition in, in lots of things. And sometimes you don't have the energy to do it, and sometimes you do. And when you do, I'm like, let's do it. Let's go for it. I mean, I, I speak slightly differently now because I'm at that stage in my career where, you know, I've reached a particular level where I'm like, I'm, I'm defining this for myself. And so therefore, this is my version of what success looks like. And it might not be the big CEO role that you expect me to have. It might not be the like the winning or getting this accolade or that accolade or being on this list. Those are not the things that I'm motivated by because I've defined my success on my terms, which is about supporting people to understand their leadership growth it's about doing work that changes and and really reforms sport which may be seen and unseen and it's about making my contribution and to move inspire and motivate and touch and educate people through my speaking work so that's a really long answer and it's a meandering one i know but i think it covers off your- it's, a, it's an amazing one because there's a few things firstly number one most importantly did you appreciate your mom's feedback when she said you're speaking too fast reflecting like did you actually re-listen to it and like and took it on board absolutely but it's one of those things that i i may or may not have implemented that well but i i'm conscious of it and so um I, I I do take on board what she says really, really carefully because she listens carefully, you know, and she knows what I, I want. And um I've got much better at all of my radio stuff, and that's because because of her feedback. Hundred percent. And one thing you've mentioned throughout this whole conversation is defining success. I'm gonna put you on the spot here because I know the listeners will benefit. Has your definition of success developed over time? And I'm curious of how you do it. Do you write it down on a piece of paper and read it regularly? Or is it just you know it consciously and then you implement it in your work? I'm curious. Well, look, you know, I don't have some kind of really well thought out methodology of how to create this. And I think it comes from experience and the challenges that we experience in life and the ones that I've experienced through being a black woman working in professional settings and 
the way in which the intersections of oppression of both racism and sexism have impacted me negatively, um, the pay the pay injustice, the way in which stereotypical tropes have been an aggressive black woman have uh, been applied to me when that hasn't been the case. And so because of the way in which societal conventions are bound up in race and gender um, and oppression more broadly, we can, those of us that are, that are in those oppressed groups can be become very weathered by those experiences. And we get to a point where actually I got to a point where I decided that that wasn't going to be a part of my future, that these things have happened to me and my commitment to social justice and anti-racism have always been at the fore of everything that I do. But to find a way to be able to process what's going on and then actually, in an unjust way, use that as fuel to, to achieve despite. So my success is very much defined on my version of how I can contribute to society based around my my passions to do with equity, social justice, respect, and very much about how we can be more compassionate to each other. And so I think as I've gone throughout my career, I've been very fortunate in a lot of the roles that I've had. I've had great autonomy. There've been new roles. And so being able to create change and new projects that are aligned to my strengths and aligned to my passions, and so the negative negative experiences I've had have then enabled me to define, well, actually, I want to create my own job description. I'm not interested in being a part of this system that doesn't even isn't even constructed to see me and isn't constructed to value my contribution here. And I realized that even though I'm very troublesome for the hierarchy in this organization because I'm saying things that are completely opposite and I'm shaking the system and asking the system to change in terms of creating greater equity, actually the, the, the work that I've done has enabled me to see I have much more impact outside of those organisations and working with the change makers inside. So I might not, you know, when I started my consultancy career, I would, you know, many years ago, now over a decade ago, I started it part time. I went to all the big organisations, Sport England, UK Sport, U Sport Trust, you name it, and said, look, you know, I'm here. I'm going to help you tackle these issues around, you know, in, in equity and, you know, diversity and inclusion. You know, and I'm still waiting for those calls back. Everyone's like, really like, yeah, let's do it. And I did a little bit of work, but it never went anywhere. And I realised that wasn't my, that EDI space isn't my space. Actually, I'm much more around anti-racism and leadership and personal growth and how we internalise and take responsibility in a radical way to figure out how we shift the agenda aligned to our strengths, aligned to what our change maker style is. And so I figured out my version of success is creating my coaching leadership programs outside of these organisations, but still having an impact. And I often coach some of those very senior people who are head of EDNI in some of those organisations. I coach people who are working to create change throughout football and throughout sport per se and in local government. So I still... I'm still very much involved in education and that, that politics and the sport world, but I've done it from a different angle. So my my version of success is very much related to understanding my strengths, my skill set, and how 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 do I get to have that biggest impact? 
But I had to do that after doing a lot of different jobs, a lot of different roles, and going on that self-discovery piece myself. With regards to that self-discovery, because there's so much I want to talk about the, you know, when I reached out to you after reading your book, I said in the first sentence, you elevated my learning about race education, actually shared it with family, friends, because I'm going to say it like I'm white and blonde and, you know, Michelle Blacking shared her like background and upbringing. It's totally different. And with regards to sport policy and having everything inclusion in the workforce, you opened up my eyes. Yes, I've heard it many times that sport can be a tool for change, but for me, that's a saying. And I'm just curious now, like with regards to the change makers, like actually people in the room who can make those big decisions, how vital is like that element of communication, one from an education standpoint, which you've educated me, but then how the education is implemented into the workforce or in society? Because I know that's a, a big question, but through your experience, where, where are the first stepping stones for real change with regards to diversity, inclusion, equity? You know, it's a great question, Ed. And I think what you you found, my book, Real Wins, is all about how we define success despite the injustice that we experience. And it takes the lessons that I learned from sport and really channels that into the way in which we can understand leadership, but not be held back by the inequities that we've experienced. And, and in so doing that, I highlight the tools, what I call for resistance for people that are from oppressed groups, from that's from an LGBTQ plus uh, community or from the black and Asian community or from the disabled community to then identifying the ways in which leaders can take the lessons and do better in creating more equitable spaces. And so the first stop if in all of this, if you think of it as a, as a, a train stop thing, if, if you like, the first kind of piece is the piece that you were infected, affected by, Ed, is that you were reading stories. I was sharing my anecdotes, much more of my life story than I thought I would share, very strangely. Um, and I was sharing the insights from the interviews that I did with business leaders and professional athletes. You know, this isn't just Michelle Moore saying, oh, we should do X, Y, and Z in the inclusion agenda. And I was overlaying that with a little bit of an academic um, viewpoint, very small, actually. And the journey that you went on in terms of your own self-awareness, because you were able to then see somebody else's world through their eyes and a lens. It's like, oh, my gosh, you know, Michelle's just told this powerful story about how... Can we do the board one? Sorry to interrupt. The best one I loved is when you were part of a board and you changed the way that company hired somebody uh, through a like the, the, that board. That, for me, that was one of the best ones because you're going for the talent of that individual instead of a, like a tick box exercise. It was just one that you, it just sparked at me when you were talking. Yeah. For me, I just love that yeah. from an employment standpoint. I hope you, you can resonate what I'm talking about relating to that example. Yeah, absolutely. Ed. That was a really good one. I was... I was coaching uh, a, a big sports charity and I was a part of their recruitment panel and they were recruiting to their board. So it was a very senior role. And um, we'd been part of this shortlisting, shortlisting panel and this was it was online and I um, shortlisted somebody that nobody else shortlisted. Now there was a, a, quite a few names on this shortlist. There was already one black name on this shortlist. And my intuition, let's call it that, 
said to me, I was shortlisted in another black woman and, my, and nobody kind of really, they were like, no, no, we've already, you know, it's, it's done, we're up to our limit with numbers. And I could see through the lines of some of this CV, the, the, the achievements, the accolade, the roles that this person had had. And I was like, this is, this is some serious talent here. Like, you know, we can't let this go. Um, and so, but on that day, I just, I didn't really have it in me to come up with a very articulate rationale. And I was just like, oh, really? Come on, my word should just be good enough. You know me, if I'm shortlisting someone, there's going to be a reason. But, it, you know, egalitarian processes, nobody agrees with me, right? So I was like, oh, okay, I've, I've done one line, said, I really think you should put this woman through. She's got, da, da, da. and they said, no. Anyway, it gets to the day, and we're all up in these fancy, fancy offices. And when I looked at the list, this particular woman had her name was added to the end of the list of the, those people that we have been, were going to be interviewed. And everybody's like, what's going on here? So I believe what had happened is because the administrator had been copied into all of the emails, I'm, myself and the administrator, I mean, I work with lots of people. I, I you know, really try and have very good positive relationships. I know that I've had conversations with this woman about how we shake up the, the kind of representation and the diversity inclusion space. So I believe that she snuck this person onto this list and before anyone could do anything about it, she was, she, this, this, my, my, the person that I'd identified was included. So it was getting to the end of the day now, everybody was like huffing and puffing about, we've got this last person to do. And I was just thinking, just let's just wait and see, just wait and see. In my head, I was like, I can't wait. So this woman comes in, she and she blows everybody outside of the world. She blows everyone outside of the world. She was incredible. And they were all stunned. And they were like, they just, you know, they offered it to her. And I was like, look at that, you know. And that changed the course of all kinds of things in that organisation and for that particular woman. And that's, and I didn't even go for it. I just sent one email that was like, come on, let's go for this. But somebody did believe in me. They took the risk, they took the chance, because if I'm saying it and I have the lived experience as a black woman, I'm a part of your shortlisting panel, there's something to it. So, you know, make sure that you you support that if you're in any kind of position of power to do it. So, yeah, and there were so many times that I've been on other panels when people have put through, you know, what was it, a wild card? They call it a wild card at Wimbledon. Yeah, let's just throw this person in. So I know it can be done, um, but this person was well and truly overqualified for it. For me, I just love that example. It just sparked when you're talking and it makes you smile because sometimes that's what real where the real talent is when they've just given that opportunity. But you've said this other phrase a couple of times, taking the risk. Could you put me on the spot here? But how do you define a risk? So if an organization's listening, they can understand like sometimes you've got to do it, like that case study, or as an individual listening, it's about putting yourself out there, but it's slightly calculated. Like I'm just curious of your definition of a, a collect like a, a good risk in that sense and what i'm talking about ed is is i'm talking about reform i'm talking about shaking up systems i'm talking about being radical with that and not expecting you know what people are trying to do with equity and social justice is they try to ensure that you just go in and you you work within the system that they already have and the problem is the system right so it means that you have to have courage to do things differently you have to have the courage and the step, the the boldness to stand up in, in a meeting and say, I don't think this is the right approach. I don't necessarily have all of the answers, but right now 
let's get some of those those people around the table that do have the answers and let's do something different. And I think, you know, when I look across all institutions in this country, they have a real problem with centering issues around race, uh, more so than the other characteristics, the protected characteristics. And I think that's a lot to do with, um, you know, they're shame resilient. They're not shame resilient enough. They're, they don't take on board that they have to make often apology and they have to do things very differently. And sometimes what we have, and I've talked about it in on stages, is that pe- the people that are a part of the problem are the people that are, are trying to change the problem. And actually, we really need to increase representation and to find ways in which people go on that self-learning journey as an individual pursuit, because that's what it is. It's an individual transformation that then gets others to win work alongside them. And sometimes that can be as easy, Ed, as saying, right, we're all gonna, we're all going to read Michelle Moore's book, Real Wins, and we're all gonna come together and talk about the issues after each chapter around what we're confronted and challenged by. Because I make it clear in my book, you know, not everyone's going to like it because it's a challenging read for some white folk. It's a challenging read because it 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 challenges the status quo. But it's a read that is still couched in compassion and in a way of kind of to support you to go on that leadership development and that personal journey because when we you know cultures are made up of individual people as you know your great mentor John Amici talks about that make individual choices and action take action every day so the collective culture is impacted by that individual and we're looking for individual transformation that then can feed into collective transformation so whether we call it risk, whether we call it reform, whether we call it people taking, you know, much more calculated, informed decisions, whatever the language is, you know, it's about deciding that you are going to be a part of the solution by finding the part that you play in this and then rinsing that out for all that you've got because that's the part that you play. Exactly. That's why I did this podcast show. It's to it's been my journey of learning, learning from different like cultures, people around the world in sport and in business. But I, before we talk about the book, and I promise you we'll talk about Michelle, but this is quite important because so far people think, well, so far that you've been in athletics and then gone as a leadership coach. There's one component I want to talk about because I know a lot of people will relate to it. Your teaching career. Can you just give a little snapshot of your teaching career and how is that those skill sets help you transition into leadership consulting and that line because to me this is inspiring but I, I would just love your you just sharing that part of the journey of your career yeah so I as a young person I went off and did um I wasn't very particularly academic I have to say it I wasn't that academic I was in I was big time into my sport I'm glad we, we match on that but it was because I hadn't found my my love of learning I think um and we went to a really tough secondary school um, but I scraped through, I got some decent GCSEs and then went off and did some A-levels at a good school, but I really struggled with the academic learning, went with those A-levels and um, scraped a couple of passes and then scraped myself into university because I was a very good netball player as well as a good athlete. So I landed up at university and I chose to do a teaching degree with sports science and PE. Now, let me be really clear. I had no burning ambition to be a teacher, but I had to make a decision. And my dad is kind of strict and he put me under pressure. It's like, you've got to decide, you know, and you haven't got anywhere else to live if you don't sort this out. Do you know what I mean? There was like, we were living, there was a backdrop of kind of 
social political kind of unrest where we were and you know, it was, a, it was a tough family background. And so I had to make some decisions. And that one of those decisions was about how I'm going to make money. That was one of the reasons why I gave up athletics, actually. But And so I went off and did this teaching degree. And but I, I've always loved young people, right? And then I taught for four years in a primary school in Brixton. I became really disillusioned quite quickly. I was the only black woman there as a teacher. And I was kind of, you know, it was my new, first new job. They gave me the little ones. I had like year one, I'm six foot two, Ed. You know, it was hard on my body. But I remember bringing in so many different kind of texts that were black texts. I remember introducing basketball to the school. And I mean, I even got my dad as a social worker come in and do a, they gave us a 15 minute morning meeting to look at terminology to do with race. Now that's, the, the, you know, this was at some time ago, but that's what I was trying to do and actually it was quite difficult and I did that for four years but my love for young people was very strong. I then worked for Charlton Athletic Race Equality Partnership so I took my passions around sport and education and community development and was a sports development coordinator there so I was working in the football club doing that work you know 20 odd years ago now to really transform communities by working directly with black and Asian and ethnic minority communities, getting them on sports coach qualification courses and getting them into the, the football club in terms of, and the leisure providers in terms of employment. But I was also developing anti-racism resources and really using the power of football and how sexy it is and the players and the brilliant um, Chris Powell at the time to, to as the vehicle to really have difficult, challenging conversations and do work around anti-racism. So that was my, you know, my journey into sport and into education and into that space around the anti-racism agenda. And I loved it. And the work that I do today kind of relates to a lot of that pioneering work back in the days that was award-winning. And then actually I was headhunted and asked by the local secondary school that I was working with through Charlton to go over there and help them become a sports college and do community development work and become I became a community manager there. And the work that I was doing was really tackling big issues around intergenerational worklessness, really trying to develop global citizenship, raising aspirations, working with the local youth centres, bringing in a whole range of diverse role models into the school. And it was having a massive impact. And it was a very white working class school. Uh, school. This is where the murders of Stephen Lawrence were, you know, in terms of that area in Elton. And the work that I'd done at Charlton Athletic, that project was set up because of the racist murders of Stephen Lawrence, Roland Adams, and Rohit Dagao, and I always mention their names to honour their legacy. And so the work that I was doing at Elton Green was having a massive, sports college was having a massive impact on the school. And so they promoted me to uh, an assistant head teacher, director of community. So I've had this really untraditional route into education at a high level. And then after that, I was recruited by, headhunted by the local, gov uh, local council, local government, working for Greenwich Council, where I stayed for about 12, 13 years, heading up PE, sport, RE, all sorts of different other curriculum areas, developing programmes around education and social justice, doing all the work around the Olympic Games and making sure everyone, every young person had a, an experience of the Games during London 2012. And so I became a senior exec, a, a troubleshooter, managing different teams, governor services, all, all the kinds of things. So I see myself very much as an educator. And the work that I do today is still very much like that, 
being a teacher, that love for education and that love and for learning and seeing young people develop and grow and transform will stay with me and continues to stay with me in the work that I do in talking to young people and deliver, delivering real wins, mentoring programs in schools to going in and doing inspirational talks with young people. But when you're a teacher, what it does is it gives you this level of self-efficacy that that you can do most things, right? They actually, like obviously I can't do it, be a surgeon or technical kind of director of, of anything that's really technical. But, you know, my first job, I had to go in and, and manage and teach 30 young people, like 30 people every day. And so now it's like, yeah, you know, when I, all the other jobs that I had, I'm like, they're not as tricky as that. You know, nothing is as hard as teaching in my in my view. And I'm always really, you know, inspired and privileged to to work with teachers. And I, I did something a, a month or so ago in uh, at one of the trusts for Luton uh, in Luton, and I talked to about a thousand teachers. And my talk just just landed because I knew their struggles and I know what I can say to be of service to them. And it gave me such intrinsic satisfaction that that was my version of success on that day to travel to Luton to talk to these thousand teachers. And they had it that I spoke to one lot like in, in the gym and then I had to walk across the, the gym to another studio in this lecture theatre and do the whole thing again. And, um, you know, and then I was out there over lunch doing like this surgery with people asking, answering questions. And so... My teaching career, my education career is still very much a strong part of what I do today. I was in Dubai earlier this year talking to young people over there about their identity. And I'm somebody who who, who am very impassioned by making a, a difference and trying to inspire that next generation. I can tell, I can feel the energy of what you've just said with that answer with like the service for others. There's just one thing I'm curious, how has adaptability supported you throughout your career I mean adaptability of new skills but also with the people you worked with because for me from that last answer I'm just blown away of how you adapted work with different people but it was all on the same line of educating and serving so I'm just curious on that point I think you know when it doesn't work out you're forced to adapt right and through my athletics career, I developed that growth mindset that actually, you know, I am, my abilities are developed by my experiences through effort. I'm open to learning. I'm curious about learning. And I'm, I'm okay with tackling problems. You know, I'm, a, I'm somebody that, as an athlete, athletes are really good at problem. They're really good problem solvers, right? Because we're faced with these challenges and problems, whether that's injury, whether that's an environment or whatever, our job is to fix those problems as quickly as possible and you know I've I've you know, the learnings and the teachings of Stephen Covey over the years it's like what it focus on what it is that you can control right you know at the same time when we're in those spaces where we're challenged we're just I'm just reminded that that comfort zone and the the stretch zone and how when you stretch your comfort zone more and more that then becomes your new comfort zone and that's where you increase your confidence up in the saw yeah exactly. and when when you overlay that with a growth mindset it means that you you can flex you can adapt to the situation and that you're like okay bring it on you know and I'm, I'm used to that you know the, the the goalposts are always shifting for black women in in the workplace and for the women that I support um but it's about not being distracted and understanding that 
that racism, for example, the very the very function of it, as Toni Morrison tells us, is that it's a distraction. It's to take you off course. It's to 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 make you doubt yourself. It's to get you to be weathered by it. It's to make you not go for your highest ambition. So actually, it's like, well, that that's what's happening now. I'm going to go. I'm. Thanks for showing me who you are. Thanks for revealing all of that. I'm now going to disprove you in every single way that I can. And so adaptability comes from the resilience that you get from overcoming the the obstacle. And at the same time, being as that helps you to become like what I call spiritually ripped. Like how can you be resilient enough to to actually cope with those those things that go wrong and to me that's that relates to the, that marginal gain thinking and those practices that all successful all really happy people do what are your daily practices that help you feel more of you in the world you know grounded whether that's something it's an element of physical activity mindfulness and gratitude whatever that looks like for you that's the secret source to enable me to kind of perform, but also enable me to have the clarity, the distance between my thoughts to get the the solutions. Like I, you know, I can't find a way out of this, but I know one thing's for sure, that I have the determination, the focus, and the skill set and the community of people around me, my network, to be able to find some kind of solution that's going to improve the situation. You know, I might not be able to solve it. I know that I can bring a certain kind of energy and uh, thought leadership to something that enables me to adapt to the the situation, whatever that looks like. 100%. And it so relates to today's podcast topic because we will be talking a book right now. But today's podcast topic is all about how can conscious leadership create the real wins in sports and business, which you've touched on already. But with regards to conscious leadership, which for me is what you're doing now, particularly your LinkedIn course is just phenomenal. But going back to the question, how can conscious leadership be that tool to create the real change in society and sport and business? I think it's about starting with what conscious leadership actually is. So it's very much about that self-awareness piece. And when you're in touch with who you are and what you're about, that enables you to develop really good, strong relational connection to others whilst being in tune with what's going on with in around you in the world so when you're in that space you're very much in a space where you understand that your fragilities and vulnerabilities are, are not signs of weakness that they're actually places where you get to learn and you get to grow and that that you are unable to be more compassionate and you are in a space where you are much more conscious of the the things that are said and unsaid around you and that by that you believe that learning and growing is actually much more important than being right. And so, you know, you access high levels of emotional intelligence when you're a conscious leader, um, which enables you to become much more innovative in the approaches that you adapt for and you adopt for in your working career. So it's a deeply individual kind of practice and how you become more conscious of your behaviors and your actions and what you choose to do on a daily basis that then creates the change so you know if you if we if we looked at the leaders of sport within this country and globally and thought well they could become actually much more empathetic took radical responsibility really understood what accountability looked like we would have a whole whole new wave of leaders um, that were so much more in touch with what's going on inside of them and what's happening in the world around them. So, you know, 
it really is about leadership in its biggest and broadest and most innovative and ambitious uh, space that I, I think about what conscious leadership is. So, yeah, that's what I think. So we start. So what is what's the opportunity for sport and business? Well, the opportunity is very much about how you can understand that be prepared to create this kind of much more egalitarian system of leadership throughout sport where we empower others to be leaders too. So it's very hierarchical in sport, but actually we need to create a very a distributed leadership model where everybody takes responsibility for their part of the business, where they step up and they become what Angela Davis, academic and activist, talks about more leaderful in the work that they do in the world. So how do we create more leaderful leaders at all different levels within organisations and within ecosystems? And when we have that, then we're in a space to embrace all aspects of our identity, the, the not so great parts and the good parts, by being aware of those, that enables us to tap into and play to our strengths, but then also create the teams around us that add into that, 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 we, that we, you know, really empower them to play to their strengths. So for me, you know, that, and that's kind of broad brush, you know, then look down at the very specifics of the very specific ecosystems and figure out where bad and poor and biased decision making is happening and take out that bit of the ecosystem. You need to get forensic at it, but you need to create the team of people who are really aware of what, what uh, Carl Jung talks about, the the shadow self, the dark and light of our identities. What is it that I'm great at? What is it that I'm not so great at? Am I trying to repress that actually? And I've had that throughout my career when I've received negative feedback. And how how do I take that on? How do I transform myself? How do I become much more conscious of my choices and actions and decisions on a daily basis? And how am I using the privilege that I have in being me? to advance those that don't have as much privilege. You know, when you start asking yourself those questions, that's when you can get to really understand how you can tackle some of the institutional biases that exist in our, our country today and, and globally. Yeah, I've got a big smile on my face because there's sort of two quotes that relate to this. So one of my two favourite like learning points from your book. And with regards to that little piece about self-leadership you said in the book the truth is that we are all leaders because we need to be leaders of ourselves I love your thoughts on that point but the second quote which is short and sweet with regards to feedback the power to listen not respond but to understand and if you don't mind we'll start with that one because that showcases like for me why feedback is important but also not responding I'd love to hear your thoughts of how that supported you now as a leader but also educating other leaders on that point yeah, I mean, it's it's just the power of active listening, isn't it? It's like we kind of jumped. If we, for example, if we receive some negative feedback about our performance or our contribution in a meeting, and our natural response for human beings, right, is to like go in and defend ourselves. And I tell this story in in my work around receiving negative feedback, and it was kind of laced with some stereotypical tropes. And I was like, I had to wade through all of that and then find the essence of where something was true and then be able to be brave enough and bold enough to just hear everybody out and their perspective around it, which was incredibly hard, you know, did it, but because I knew that there was something there for me to hear. And so I I enabled, I didn't speak because I was really trying to understand what was being said. 
And so I think that's an important part of leadership. How do we listen to understand and not just always respond? And, you know, what that kind of links to is this piece around empathy, because empathy isn't just about kind of trying to step into somebody else's shoes. It's, It's stepping into those shoes, but also understanding that you have to shift your mindset when their experience doesn't match up with yours. Well, actually... Is it the emotional intelligence? Sorry, is it that side? Yeah, it's, 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 it's just really understanding that you that you might have an expectation or an assumption based on your experiences in life, but actually you have no idea what this person's lived experience is, and you're trying to match it to, to your idea, and there is a mismatch. And so there's something about trust, and there's something about you know, understanding and compassion. And I think about some of the board roles I've had over the years and some of the people that I've worked with may not have understood the issues around equity and injustice and anti-racism, but I'd built up a relationship where they trusted me, right? So what happened is they went along with the reform and the change and the understanding came later, right? And because they were like, Michelle Moore, she, 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 she's on our side. She generally knows what she's talking about. We'll kind of go along with what she's saying. We don't entirely get it, right? And so there's something about that trust um, that goes with that deep listening that you have to have in yourself and in the process and that you are open to learning from what you hear, even when what you hear is really challenging and you don't like it. Can we touch on that first point, though, about that we're all leaders? Because I think that was gold when I read it, because I think sometimes we forget that we're leaders in our home, we're leaders with our community. It's not that it's a title in an organisational role. I'd love to touch on that quote. I'm really glad that that resonated with you, Ed, because, you know, what you're doing in this podcast is leading your leadership skills, your you're, you're taking your passion and you're making your contribution to the world to be of service to others. And we get so much from that. I get a lot from that. And I know, you know, we've talked about how much that as well, as you raise your hand for our listeners. So there is something about understanding that that leadership aspect is very much connected to the decisions that we make every day as leaders of ourselves. But also that, that when you go into organisations and businesses and ecosystems, you can see that there's a leader of the organisation, like there's a CEO or the MD. But when you go in and you do some like deep work, you get to understand that actually sometimes it's the entry level employee that holds all of the power and actually is the coolest, has the most radical ideas and actually is flexing some leadership skills that the senior managers have no idea about. Right. So I think we, when we get to create people, when we get to tap into and understand that we have so much power as the leaders of ourselves, because we lead our, we get up and we make leadership choices every day. We lead our families, we lead other people, we lead ourselves. When we really get that, it enables us to stand in the power, to stand in it, to know that I've got a contribution to make. You may or may not want to take that contribution on, but I'm going to do that because I'm being my most leaderful self. And so I love this idea of being a leader of you that makes your contribution. And I talk about it in the spirit of how we can challenge the status quo, both within ourselves, within our own kind of the inner critic in our heads that we have us and believe that we are less than, and to those that are out there in the systems that we're a part of. Who are you? Are you, and I talk about it in one of my favourite chapters around activism and change-making, 
And I use sports activism as an example to say that you might be you might be channeling your Serena Williams as an, as a positive disruptor, but you might be um, a visionary storyteller like a Simone Biles, prepared to talk about very difficult issues around sexual abuse on behalf of the gymnastics community. Who are you? What 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 qualities and traits does do relates to your change maker style that enables you? to channel some thoughts that are positive, that enable you to kind of get in touch with your inner advocate and not your inner critic. And are you a, um, a weaver? Are you a strategic thinker? Are you somebody that likes to build community? Are you a builder? You mobilize people around you. And it's not all about using a big voice. It could be that you challenge something outside of a meeting in a one-line email. And I showed that in that board kind of example. It might be that you talk to somebody else who has power and influence and they speak up on something and it's not your voice that's used. And you decide, what's my energy that I have today you know, in order to kind of quieten that inner critic? It's, it's low. Okay, so actually I'm going to be as kind to myself as possible. What is it that you can do to honour yourself, to look after you in those moments of challenge? So that leadership aspect is all about the leadership skills and expertise and talents that we have inside of us that we have to really believe in because that's what creates change for ourselves individually and the communities that we're part of. Also, just one thing you just hinted right at the end, which is important, I want to highlight. How important is self-care as a leader? Yeah, I mean, it's a part of the, the work. of, And I talk about it as a part of the daily kind of practices that create the space where you can be as fully embracing of all of the aspects of your identity and turn up as grounded as possible. I don't really believe in the kind of kind of toxic productivity stuff. I don't believe that. I don't really believe that. I don't that like, you have to do this to be productive. And I'm I'm saying that for us to be the best versions of who we want to be in the world, we have to feed ourselves and we have to do that first. So it's the daily, you know, practice that I do, which is walking and meditating and gratitude journaling and journaling all of those things actually enable me to turn up and be Michelle Moore in the world if I, if I don't do one of those things I'm not giving myself a hard time but I did do them on such a regular basis that when I don't do them I can just feel a bit, a bit afraid around the edges and I know the power of marginal gains I know that in those 10 minute little slots that I'm honoring myself these aren't arduous I'm honoring myself with doing them that they will enable me to have just that greater moment of clarity. They'll enable me to maybe be in that space where I respond and not react to something that's just emotively happened that kind of gets me. I'm like, ah! and actually, because I've created that distance between my thoughts, because I've got a greater sense of groundedness from my meditation practice, I don't respond in that way. I don't react in that way. So I choose to figure out a way that I respond and I have a counting technique it's done by this American woman called Mel Robbins and sometimes I'm into some of the things people do and sometimes I'm not but it's a really good one because it it disrupts your negative thinking and you count back from five four three two one and you and then you just anchor a positive thought whether that's I've got you you're you're the boss you can handle it I've done this before like whatever it is or you channel a positive memory or an experience or uh, a loved one my brother's had a, 
little baby boy. He was six months just two days ago. And he's gorgeous. His name is Rome Pierre Moore. He's already box office a superstar. And every time I talk about him, love just pours from me. I think about him, he changes my state. I've interrupted my disrupt and disrupted that negative thinking by the counting. I've anchored a positive thought. I'm now responding rather than reacting. That happens because my self-awareness kicks in because I'm and haven't done I'm in myself having done my practices if I'm not grounded in myself my self-awareness doesn't kick in and I'm immediately responding in a, in a, in a way that might be negative to something I'm re- reacting and so those daily practices all of the leadership books Ed, all of the leadership books tell us that we have to have a grounded practice that's every day that's daily that's rooted in mindfulness rooted in physical activity and some form of expressing yourself also having that positive trigger to do the behavior of that as well. Well, I hope people enjoying this and taking notes, but just for listeners going, okay, Ed, Michelle, what is the name of the book? And please, could you also just share what, a little scope of what the book's about, but also give a little hint about your LinkedIn course as well, because that's how we got connected. I saw it on a post and I'm like, who's this Michelle Moore? Checked her out, got the book straight away, read it in like two days and we're here now chatting, which I'm super grateful for. But could you just give to the listeners a snippet of what the name of your book is and your LinkedIn course as well? So the book is called Real Wins. And it's about how I have learned so many lessons from sport, wanting to be this professional athlete, not making it, and then taking those lessons around mindset, around determination, around focus, and then overlaying that and using that in my professional career. And to define success on my terms as a black woman, despite the injustices that I I experienced. And then I kind of mashed it all up with my life experiences and added in some extra flavor of some professional athletes and the kind of wise insights of some of the business leaders. And it's really about people that are interested in understanding themselves, understanding how they can unlock their leadership potential whilst being of service to the world around them, like socially conscious people. And it it really, and I've been just completely overwhelmed by the kind of response and the, the uh, you would have seen the testimonies that I had from incredible people, from Denise Lewis and to, to the likes of David Grevenberg, who I know you've had on him on as well, to Ebony Rainford Brent, to the endorsements to John Amici, And because of the way in which my work across many years has been in the campaigning space in sport and the anti-racism space. So the the book has kind of brought alive all of that. And it wasn't the book that I thought I was going to write. You know, it was so much more of a creative process. I thought I'd write a much more traditional academic leadership book, but I completely underestimated the creativity involved in writing and what I did is I had to honour the stories that came out. I wrote every single word. I, there is no ghostwriter. There is nobody helping. Every single word is mine. And it's also an audible as well. So you get to hear me. I'm your leadership coach in your ears, people. And I get some great feedback from that. And so, you know, as, as, a, as a black woman, as a black writer, I faced the challenges that black writers face in terms of the publishing industry being 98% white. And it's been really difficult to get my book on bookshelves but I've succeeded because I found a way. I got a billboard campaign, a national billboard campaign with Clear Channel. And I was on in 21 towns and cities on big electrical screens in the shopping centres. 
and that was the power of representation for me as well. So I've uh, yeah, I've been on big screen overlooking um, the Hammersmith flyover. The book was in the paperback book came out. It was made it into the top 20 of the WH Smith leadership charts, the only black author as a part of that nonfiction list. And I've also been up for some awards and was shortlisted and longlisted for some that I would never have thought that I would have been. So Real Wins is a great read. It's very accessible. I like to have work that is easily understood because I'm trying to convey my work and my some sophisticated sometimes theories just through some stories and to try to touch and move and inspire to get people to to really think about just like you Ed, think about your behavior processes but it takes the word the title real wins is about what does real wins look like and it isn't actually the traditional win or the accolades or coming first it's about the lessons that we learn from our toughest moments and how we use those lessons to then transform our future that's what a real win is and so it is a lot about adversity loss setbacks and how we find the inner tools and inner resilience to overcome them and how about the linkedin course i need to bring that in because I kid you not, everybody, nearly every week I'm seeing people who do this course and sharing it with authenticity that it's really helped them. So I just want to say that because we all have different learning styles and maybe the course could be the answer. I would say get the book as well. But if you love like courses, check this one out. Absolutely. I mean, as you can see, I'm kind of untraditional. I mean, my leadership book, my Real Wins book, finishes with an ode with a tribute to my gran around the struggle that she had the issues around identity and I mean my gran came to England in the 50s late 50s 58 and she was the first woman in the family to come actually no that's not quite true her elder daughter came before her my trailblazer in Aunt Vilma but my gran came and she brought my dad who was three at the time and my aunt his sister and she came before her husband right and she lived a life of sacrifice and toil and experienced oppression in all kinds of ways so that myself and my sister could live the life that we live today. And so my book is in tribute to her sacrifice in all kinds of ways. And I pull out the ways in which that has happened. And I actually, the, the, the book is in tribute to my granddad as well, my mum's side, um, and also a friend who passed, Yvonne. And so it was really a, 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 a tribute to how we can be of service to others and in so doing we can often really feed the legacy of those that have come before us and so the work that I did for LinkedIn was very much around conscious leadership in the sense of how we are rooted to our identities both professional and personal and very much for me that's a personal journey and so that I think the reason why it's landing is because I, I talk about these issues around our values, where they come from, what our identity means in the, the professional context, how we manage ego, how we how we develop our emotional intelligence. And I keep it real and I use the examples that from sports as well as from broader society and the global issues that that we see that sport holds up a lens to, you know, in terms of those social political issues that we talk about and we hear about from the likes of the sports activism in the day to the, the contemporary, from back in the day from the 1968 Mexico Olympic Games to the contemporary activism that we see today from the likes of Colin Kaepernick and, you know, um, 
Serena, to to all uh, our own Eliana Luca. So I use sport, I use politics, and I bring it all together and, and make it make sense in that that professional context. So it's very different that I'm, you know, I don't profess to be like everybody else. So it's quite different to what's on that LinkedIn platform and profile with all of the other LinkedIn instructors. And that's why I get to exist, Ed. I exist outside of the parameters and the boundaries of what's expected, to be honest. I don't really buy into them. So when LinkedIn approached me, I was like, are you sure? You know, I'm, I'm not really a traditional LinkedIn person in that way, but LinkedIn is a massive, powerful tool and it's been brilliant to work with them, hoping to do more courses. And, you know, it's only been out for a short time and I've had over four and a half thousand views and uh, engagers and people watching it and learners. So I like to be able to, as an educator, you know, share my work and that's through the book and through this, you know, 14 lots of different videos me, I'm talking direct to camera, bringing alive these issues, makes it as inclusive as possible. And that's why I also did an audible of my book. It's very important to me that everybody gets to access the work and through the the um, the work on LinkedIn as activities that I've sent, set are also very much with inclusion in mind in terms of the, the broadest community possible. So please do check it out. It's actually free on my profile. You get it free. The first time you click on it on my profile, you have 24 hours to watch it. So it is a free resource for my community out there in service to others to help them in their journey. Well, everybody, if you're listening in, in the show notes, will be all the links for the book, the audiobook, and the LinkedIn course as well. But Michelle, I'm going to put you on the spot now, reflecting right now, what are you most proud of with regards to your journey looking back right now? You know, it's really, I get asked these questions and I, I always find it, you know, a challenge because I'm not somebody that, that kind of spends lots of time thinking about what could have happened, what if, and, you know, but I, I was a young woman that didn't, I wasn't necessarily somebody that anybody thought I was going to massively achieve, right? And so I did, that wasn't in my head. I was I was surviving. I was making a life, and so along the way, opportunities come along, and you take them or you don't. You take you you that door. I remember when I was doing this work at the uh, secondary school, the head teacher was a visionary, inspirational head, and she saw potential in me that I didn't even see myself. Right, Ed, and so. That was so powerful. And I don't even know what she saw. But I remember her saying to me one day, Michelle, you you relate so well to a, such a wide variety of people, unlike all of the other teachers here. You're able to engage with the young people, the parents, the philanthropists, the funders, the council, the hoodlums on the local estate, the youth workers. Those skills are incredible and immeasurable for us. And so I like to think that the work that I do is about seeing people's potential and being of service to others. And I get so much from that. I get so much from helping people go for their, their highest and boldest ambition, go for that job that they never even thought that they could get. And so I think to myself, look at that. And this head teacher, she gave me an opportunity. She said, we're doing a master's in education at the school. We're going to sponsor you to do it. You only have to come up with a couple of hundred quid and it's a few few um she made it sound so like light touch it's a few weekends away here and there it's like, oh yeah all right obviously it wasn't just a few weekends away it was a whole heap of work but you know I look back and I have a master's in education now 
And I and there was a little story that goes with that because the terrible secondary school that I went to that I had no maths teacher for the last year of my schooling. Um, when I'd got this master's a couple of years later, Southbank University said to me, because I got it from Southbank, said, we're doing, you know, we're still doing the school's master's programme. We'd love you to come in and deliver some master's uh, modules for us in, in education in some of the schools. And we've got one school in mind. And I was like, oh, OK, just tell me the school. I'll turn up. What modules you want done? Da, 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 da. And I was like, this is so random. You know, me that scraped into university, I'm now delivering master's modules in schools, but fine, whatever, you know, it's an opportunity. And they said, it's my old secondary school. They gave me the name of my old secondary school. And I was like, wow. So I went there and I delivered this, this module and the head teacher was really proud. Like, it's an old alumni from our school. And I said, I achieved despite this school, let me tell you. Um, but there were those sweet moments of justice that come in my career. And I think that I look back and I think, wow, I, I have made that journey. I have had some very challenging times professionally and personally. I've had my own mental health issues, my own physical activity issues that have made my life difficult at times. But I found a way, right? And so when when it's not it's not sophisticated, it's not necessarily inspirational, but I found a way to define success on my terms. Like I'm not interested in what other people think necessarily about whether or not that that fits into their version of who I should be at this particular age and what I should be doing because I'm I just don't fit in I've never have I'm like I'm not in like this is my version of what this looks like and so I'm most proud of that that I get to live a life that has choices right and nobody thought that that was going to be my life no and I'm I'm very fortunate I have you know very amazing people in my network who want my advice like I'm very like grounded and privileged to be in a position where people are like we want to know what Michelle Moore thinks about that and some very special very kind of cool people and I'm like wow look at that you know I may not have made it in the way that I thought I was going to make it in the athletics world but I'm still having a big impact in that world in the kind of coaching and the wise counsel and the advisory work that I can give especially to some of those athletes who who, who need it so I don't know what what you know I don't I'm not somebody who has the big regrets what have I learned along the way it's all varied but I think that's that thing around exceeding expectations and being true to who I am and embracing all aspects of my identity are the biggest things that I kind of take forward and, and if I leave anything with your listeners it's really about you know showing up as powerfully as possible on on your terms in a way that speaks to you you know and is is real and is authentic to what you're about and who your values are and then you can't and being as present as possible and then just focusing on what it is you can control because most of the stuff that is out of our control we spend a lot of time focusing on that and actually it's the tr the inner transformation that you get to to be to develop and you know really go for it and really go for those highest boldest amb ambitions for yourself because if you're not prepared to do that for you then then like how can you expect anybody else to support that your dreams and, and sponsor you in that way so I really I really encourage everybody to to think about that and to be as present as possible and to to your reality and what success is for you 100% but Michelle don't forget you're cool as well with regards to yourself and the network around you because for me I think that's just as a reminder to tell you that 
because even this conversation, I've been overwhelmed and I feel like we're at a great stage where I'd like to finish with an inspirational question. And please feel free to recap, but what three tips would you give to the listener right now after listening to this podcast to be a better leader after listening to this? What would those three tips be? I think those three tips are really the ones that you have to come up with yourself. You know, I'm not somebody that's like, whenever I go on a, uh, a talk and they want to talk about UDI, they're like, well, three things I've got to do first. I'm like, I'm not your speaker. I'm not that person, right? Because you have to go on the learning journey. You have to start the self-awareness piece. You have to do the education. And then once you do that, the answers then reveal themselves to you. And it's the same with this, like, Go on that journey of personal and professional growth. Look at the self-awareness piece. Understand where you are self-sabotaging and commit to doing something about it. Understand that we have a short amount of time. Like, what's the biggest impact that you're going to have in the shortest amount of time that you've got? That, To me, figuring that out is a deal breaker. You know, so I'm nearly 50 and somebody said to me, oh, I think you've got 25 summers left. I was like, please stop. <laughs> I've got long livers in my family. But, you know, it's a real checker. It's like, actually, like there are so many hours I've got. I want to be also doing this work that makes a difference. But I also want to be living fully and ex- be excited about my work. And I've been, at the beginning of the year, I, I, wrote my I created one intention it was um, a number of intentions every year Ed I write an intentions letter and uh, this is future scripting what it is that you would love your life to look and feel like and be like and I literally write everything and anything and I forget about it once I've written about four or five pages and in this letter I, I write it as if it's already happened so Michelle I was really proud of you this year you looked killer in that red dress on stage in front of 10,000 people. You inspired, you motivated, you delivered your coaching programs, you helped transform careers, you worked in sport, you did this radical piece of work which tried to shake up the industry, you moved out, and I just go for it, go for it. You met the man of your dreams, you know, I literally let my mind go wild, right? And then I forget about it. I put a stamp on it, I write a dress and my name on it. I give it to a loved one. If you're going to do this, give it to someone you trust who will send it to you and not like my twin sister who lost it for three months because she moved, so I'll allow her. But anyway, um, and then they send it to you a year later and you read through what's happened. Now, this isn't like I've now written goals based on this letter. This is just what you put it out there. And, you know, no word of a lie, 70, 80% of my letter comes true. It might not come true in the way that, no, you didn't do the TED talk, but you actually did a talk for the RSA and it reached 5,000 people. Actually, you did do that, but it was in a different way. And so you'd be so surprised. And one of my intentions last year was to mix more business and pleasure. And so I'm in this, what are we in the sixth, seventh month? And I've been away like four or five times this year. I was in Dubai doing some pro bono work. I've just come back from Rwanda. And I was out there moderating a panel discussion, easily the most distinguished panel discussion I've ever moderated with key people in politics and sport. And I was a part, I went to the BAL, the Basketball Africa League um, matches. I did some of the after parties. I was living, doing some book work, doing a book event, and it was business and it was pleasure. I did something in Slovenia. I did a leadership masterclass there. And I have been 
I was in St. Lucia, I was on the St. Lucia radio talking about real wins. So I'm just living life on my terms, defining success in my way. And that's what I would say. You know, that's you go on that self-awareness journey, you start to get clear, clear about what you want in your life, and then you start living it intentionally. You start making it happen. So the three tips, I don't know what the three tips are. No, they're not. I think that answer's better. That answer's so much better. I had to interrupt. Um, I had to interrupt, but finish off if you had anything to say. But for me, that's a killer answer. Yeah, so to me, it's like get get busy doing the stuff that's going to make you happy and grounded. Like It's not all about how I'm going to achieve professionally. How can I make create a life that has this rich beautiful tapestry that I want to live that is my life you know and so so many of us are defined by by our professional achievements when actually when we look back on it you know the the 10 reasons the 10 regrets of the people dying check that out it's not it's not it's nothing to do with our inbox right it isn't so let's just be mindful of how we're defining success who we are how we're showing up and creating that rich and beautiful life that we want to lead. And we get to lead if we allow ourselves to do that that whole self-awareness journey. 100%. And that letter concept, I'm going to give that a go, by the way. I've done something very similar with Robin Sharma, where he says, I write your sort of perfect day, and I do it a couple of times a week. But the letter one's even better because you you forget about it. Hopefully it comes back, though. Uh, but I love that, love that exercise. And look, out of interest, Michelle, how can people interact with you on social media? Where are the best places to grab your book? Like the LinkedIn course, everybody, it's on LinkedIn. There'll be a link. But just with the book side, where are the best places to go to get grab a copy? Yeah, well, the book is available worldwide. It is. It's, it was uh, published in the States as well and globally, both hardback and paperback. I'd love it if you go on to Amazon, write a review once you've read it, um, bookseller.org. It's available. Uh, it's in bookshops, but, you know, online is the great thing. But book reviews make a massive difference to first-time authors. And although, I, you know, I was published in 2021, we're in 2023 now. So I've been on an international book tour with my book, and I really appreciate any kind of feedback that I can get around that. My socials are Instagram, it's michellemore.me. And it's the same, you can find out more about my book and my work on my website, which is www.michellemore.me. And yeah, on LinkedIn, I'm Michelle Moore, FRSA. I'm a fellow for the Royal Society of Arts. So on Twitter, I'm hello at more. So at hello more. So yeah, I'd love to hear from people. I love receive and you can contact me directly through my website as well so please don't be a stranger connect and uh you know if you have any questions or any follow-ups please do feel free to to connect with me on any of those socials amazing to all the listeners listening in all those links be on my website with regards to my blog and this amazing podcast chat michelle it's been a joy chatting with you today thank you very much Ed, it's been wonderful. Thank you for asking me. I really appreciate it. It's been amazing. I've had a great chat with you. Enjoyed it loads. So thank you. My goodness. What an unbelievable podcast chat with Michelle. I've actually got goosebumps because for me, it's conversations like this that are so educational. And I need to thank you now. I'm mindful this is a long podcast. And if you have reached this stage, I want to congratulate you. Why? Because I really appreciate 
and respect your time. I have to really say that because for me, time is one of our most important assets. And I truly believe after you listening and learning from Michelle, it served you with regards to your own personal development, but also your career development too. With regards to conscious leadership, I hope you've got a better understanding with regards to how it can be applied and the learning lessons from sport and how it can be transferred into the business world and all aspects of your real scope of life. It really is so transferable. But what I've taken from this podcast, learning from Michelle, which I'm so glad we digged really deep, is the component of really defining your word of success. And you probably heard this before from other social media channels, other self-development content, but for me, that's what I've taken the most from Michelle of how she uses her past experiences to really create her definition of success with regards to the life. And from a career journey perspective, I can't express how much I've enjoyed it just from how she used her athletics career, then how she used it into a teaching career, and then how she's applied it into the world of the business world, but also educating at the same time of race education. Like for me, I need to bring this up again because when I read Real Wins, and I'm actually rereading actually about race education, it's really made me more curious, but most importantly, mindful. And that's what I love about Michelle. It's really being authentic in the realities of different stories that we need to at least be mindful of in a working environment, in a sporting environment, but also a life perspective. So there is equity in regards to society in all walks of life. So for that, Michelle, again, I'm going to give you a shout and say thank you for that opportunity of educating me. And I'm more curious of the subject. But with regards to you, yes, you the listener, you know, my main thing now is application. And how are you going to apply this into your career development because you've just listened to over an hour and 20 minutes what one thing now you actually going to implement with regards to your development because last thing I want it goes from one ear out the other with no application even if it's taking action and getting Michelle's book which I highly recommend or the free course on LinkedIn which you get for 24 hours if you can just do one actionable step that for me was so important now because Without a doubt, Michelle has been so grateful to give you a lot of answers, but now it's about applying them. So look, I really, really do hope you've enjoyed this podcast chat. If you have, I'll be so grateful if you could leave a review with regards to this podcast experience you've experienced wherever you listen to your podcasts. And for me, this is what it's all about. So please share it because I know other people benefit from this podcast chat. But most importantly, apply what you've learned and make it happen. Now, as always, at the end of each podcast episode, I'd like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. Michelle said, go on a journey of professional growth and understand where you are self-sabotaging and commit to doing something about it.